Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. I'm Chris DeSantis and this is another one of your bonus podcasts. Uh, this is basically an edition of story time that I've been teasing for a long time if you've been a listener of the podcast. If you're listening for the first time, welcome and get ready for a whopper of a story because I have been as I said, waiting to tell this one for quite some time. And pieces of this, if you've been listening along the whole way around, you have heard it before. You've heard pieces of it. You've gotten some of the aspects of this, but this was one that I wanted to put all together in one place. And I finally felt within the last few weeks, yeah, you know what? I'm ready to tell this itself as a finite story and put it on here because I think that like some of the other stories that I've told on here, I'm sure that a lot of this will resonate with a lot of the people that are listening to this, that you'll see some of yourself in some of the experiences I've had. And I really hope that by hearing about them, that it will maybe influence you to get on a path to change some stuff in your own life and go in a different direction, or you'll see some of the strategies that I employed and think, ah, I could probably do that too, or you're going to you know, recognize that you're really struggling in a way that I was and maybe not feel so alone in that moment. Because in this story, I mean, there, there are plenty of moments where I definitely did not want to talk about this. I didn't want to tell people what was going on. I definitely, I didn't want to get on a podcast that goes out to thousands of people and just sort of bear it all the way about it. And I've done a lot of work to get to this point. And uh, I am happy for you to copy off my work so that if you're at any stage of this, that it doesn't take you as long uh, to get to where I got. Because I, I, I would be really happy for any single person to have that. So this, this story uh, in my own life, I, I want to begin it actually during the pandemic. Um, because I think that's, well, you know, you have certain inflection points in your whole life. I talked a lot uh, on my podcast last week, this bonus podcast about inflection points and how I think a lot of these inflection points, uh, unfortunately, end up being these moments of great failure, these sort of dire moments of your life where you're just really not feeling good about where you are. Um, and for me, like many, many, many people probably listening to that, um, I definitely had a moment like that in the midst of the pandemic. But if I'm, if I'm editing the story as we go, it actually begins a little bit before that. Uh, people uh, know that now I am working full-time for myself. I, I run a business, Chris DeSantis Coaching. That was a business that I founded in 2016. And I did so after I left a full-time coaching job in Denmark while well, I got fired. That's a whole nother podcast. You can uh, dig through the archives and maybe find me telling that story in various places. But I came back with my family, my, my wife and my daughter at that time, my son hadn't been born yet. Um, we moved back to the New York City area and I decided to go out into business for myself. And I started Chris DeSantis Coaching. And in the spring of 2020, when all of our lives really deeply changed, I was finally starting to feel like I was in a really good place doing it. It had been such a massive struggle to get something, you know, like to taking something that doesn't exist 
right? You know, that, that there's no, like there's no job there and you just basically create a job for yourself and every aspect of it, right? You are, you're responsible for driving it forward. You have to find people that are, um, that, that need your help, people that can benefit from working with you and, you know, and, and seek them out and sell them on you being able to help them and, you know, figure out what you're going to charge for that and go out and, and do the work. And it had been, I mean, I think most people know this, that doing anything like that is extremely challenging and it had been extremely challenging for me. And as we were approaching spring of 2020, I felt like I was reaching a tipping point with everything. I started to feel like, you know, I actually was going to get to <clears throat> at least an intermediate goal that I had for it, which at that time, a lot of what I was doing was going out and servicing teams. I was working with doing, I was doing workshops with teams. I was coaching coaches on collegiate teams. I was working with a few club teams and I was just going to fill my schedule with club teams. In fact, when, you know, when all of our lives changed, I mean, I was actually on the pool deck at the, um, CSCAA, you know, the, the, the invite meet, that's the, the NIC, I think is actually what they call it. This championship for anybody that has a B cut, but didn't get invited to NCAAs and you could come to come to this meet. And I was there and I was talking to coaches and I had like all these, you know, pots on the stove cooking. And then in the middle of the meet, you know, we got sent home because turns out there was a pandemic and, um, we were all going to go home and my kids were going to come home from school and everything right was going to change. And so that was all the preamble to the story, but the story really begins a few months into that because, you know, in the beginning it was like, oh, well, my kids will be home a week from school and then we'll all get back on it. In fact, I had plans to do a bunch of stuff in April that I did not cancel, you know, like until like a week out, right? In April, because there was this kind of tenuous period where like, well, maybe, maybe we're not in this for the long haul. Maybe it's, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve, whatever. And then it made this transition to like, no, this is the new reality. And there's no, there's no end date in sight. We don't know when this is going to end. We don't know when things are going to change. And for me, that, that time was summer 2020. And if I look back, of course, as, as is true for many times in my life, I was in really deep denial about what a dark place I was in because um, it was really, really disappointing to have put four years into building my business and then in a matter of weeks to basically have it just go poof. <laughs> and my whole life was changed. I was, um, I was back at home. I was uh, finding stuff to do with a couple of young kids where we couldn't uh, for, for, for some time even didn't feel comfortable like having them interact with other kids. So it was um, a very uncomfortable role for me. People who know me really well know that I am um, 
in fact, I, I, I had a, uh, I stepped into it, into a playground with some other parents, um, earlier this week when I said that, you know, I really seldom ever play with my kids because <laughs> I said, you know, my philosophy is I'm not, I'm not my kid's playmate. I, I have a lot of other things that are my responsibility. I'm, 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 I, I should love them. I should provide for them. Um, I should talk to them, all these things, but I don't really think that it, I don't really see it as part of my role with my kids to be their playmate. But essentially I had to kind of step into that um, uncomfortable space, space that I didn't really want to be in and uh, drop all of the things that I was working on for myself, or at least that's, that's what I perceived at the time. And I, it really, it drove me um, to a, a point of stress, like, you know, like I'd hardly ever experienced in my life. I mean, the, the, the closest I could compare it to people who've listened to this as well, know that my mom passed away six years ago. Um, it was pretty similar to that and revealed a lot of dysfunction that I had um, that even, you know, like I, I think these great big dark moments, they, they provoke you to like, oh gosh, I got to do something to fix this. And this was another one of those moments where I thought like, I've got to really fix it. And, um, and, and that's all well and good, right? It's good to, you know, recognize and reach out for help when you're really struggling and think about how you're going to fix it. But there's something that's different in this story and I'll get to it eventually. But first I'm going to tell you how I knew I really knew that I was in a dark place. And, um, that is that, you know, there's just the, 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 the stress, the feeling of being totally overwhelmed and totally out of control with, uh, what was happening. I, it started to manifest itself in a really unhealthy way for me. And I've maybe just barely mentioned this on my podcast with, with Nikki cat, but, um, I started to, after everybody went to bed and the whole house was quiet. Um, I started to just binge eat like, and, um, <laughs> I, uh, when I was a kid, I have this, this memory uh, of, um, I always tell people that my mom wouldn't keep Oreo cookies in the house. And the reason for that was that one time she bought a pack of Oreo cookies, you know, it comes like, I don't know, I don't even remember cause I haven't bought Oreo cookies for so long, but it came in like three or four rows, you know, it's like this big rectangular pack, you know, must have like, I don't know, 48, 50 cookies in it or whatever. And I ate the entire thing in one day and she was so disgusted. She was like, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to buy any more Oreo cookies. I can't believe you did that. Um, it was like that. Okay. It was like that. I just, and I would just eat and eat and eat well, well beyond the point where like my stomach hurt. I felt awful. Um, I couldn't really go to sleep afterwards because I was so uncomfortable and and yet it was just this compulsive behavior that I couldn't stop and then every now and then I'd feel super guilty and I would try to make myself throw up some of it and meanwhile my wife in the background is like what the hell is going on right like what is happening to my husband um what what is like what can I do in this situation she was deeply distressed and um, you know, we talked about it. I think, I think the most embarrassing was I, 
I went on like just an epic binge the night before Mother's Day. And I woke up the next day and Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, and my wife was just in tears. She was, she had a real shit Mother's Day that year. And it was because she was quite understandably pretty worried about where I was. And so out of that, we had to talk about it. And I, you know, I had uh, been in therapy a couple of times since my mother had died. I was out of therapy at that time. I, the latest therapist that I had found, this was pre-pandemic. I had to drive 45 minutes to see her and then she retired. And then I was like, like many people who, you know, get into therapy. I just thought like, this is too hard and I'm doing okay. And um, so I was like, I got to get back into some form of therapy. So I, um, I, I, at that time, you know, like, you know, you weren't going to go in and see anybody in the office. The only option available was a lot of these online platforms. Um, this is not a free ad for Talkspace. I actually think Talkspace is not a great website. And so is my therapist. So um, keep that in mind with the story. But I, I got on Talkspace and, you know, I filled out their whole thing and I waited for it to match me up with a therapist. I got matched with somebody and I said, like, hey, can we make an appointment? And they wrote back to me. They were like, I don't know why you got matched to me. I don't have any room for anybody. I was like, okay. You know, like, and they were like, we'll put you back in the system. Got put back in the system. Second person, same thing. Third person, same thing. And this time, and I, I, I laugh about this with my therapist all the time. This time I, when that, when I got the reply, Hey, you know what, actually I'm full. I'm sorry that you got here, but like, you're going to have to, I just said, please. Please don't put me back out there. I stopped and I said, please, I, I've gotten this run around twice. Here's what's going on in my life. I'm, I'm really struggling. Can you please help me? And my therapist said, okay, I'm going to find a, I'm going to find a space for you. I'm going to find one. And she did. And I have the same therapist three years later. Um, I feel so incredibly lucky to have found her in that moment. Um, and to begin some of the work of changing what was going on. Um, and it was not a, it was not a quick fix, right? It wasn't like I showed up one day and then all of, all of the, you know, like the binging or the, the behavior that, you know, I originally came to present with, not like it disappeared though overnight. It was a process of months. It was kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the best way I can say to describe it is like, you know, if you're, if you're in a car that's going a hundred miles an hour and you're just completely out of control, it was like gently applying the brakes. Okay. So just, just that, that the momentum of what I was doing, it just slowed and slowed and slowed and slowed. And sometimes it didn't feel like it was slowing. And then it eventually kind of crested to a stop. And I would say it may have taken almost a year to get to that place. Um, one of the things that I discovered during that time, I referenced my mom dying earlier was despite the fact that um, I've been through a lot during that time period, despite the fact that I've been in some therapy, I realized I had like so much unprocessed grief from that moment. Right. I, I just, it, I, I had been so overwhelmed that even though I'd had all these grieving moments, I, I still had a lot left to do. And you know what, probably today, if I'm being honest, there's probably yet more to do, 
And one of the biggest things was when my mom passed away, I was, uh, I'll admit this here in this forum for the first time, I was super angry, was super angry. So, so angry. And a lot of that anger actually manifested towards her. I mean, and it's so messed up to admit out loud, but I was mad at my mom for dying of a brain tumor. Um, and I mean, I was, I was mad because, um, you know, you, you, when you're two people alive in a relationship and you've got stuff that's remaining unresolved. And I think most of us have unresolved things in relationships with other people. You know, you always have that hope that, well, that, that moment of resolution will come in the future. Well, she died. So we, we, we can't have it. And, um, that was, that, that took me to, uh, a place where I was pretty angry and beneath that anger though, was just a deep sadness, right? Because, um, the anger was about how unfair that was, but the sadness was the, what I just admitted, which is that I knew that that moment of resolution just with the two of us in the same room would come. Now, now I have, I know I have to find it by myself. I have to find a way to resolve a lot of things without her there. And, um, that's talk taken a long time to get to. So there were a lot of moments that I spent in the first year, just processing some of that grief, just feeling it, just allowing myself to, um, feel it and to let it keep moving through me so that I didn't just carry it around. Um, I heard this great analogy, one of my closest friends, somebody that I talk to all the time, his brother struggles with alcoholism. His brother was getting treated for alcoholism and, um, the person who was working with him in this treatment facility had like an analogy where he said, he said like, look, everybody, if you want to visualize people's stress management on a like quantifiable scale, you know, everybody's got 180 points of stress. That's the stress that they can tolerate. Right. And like, you know, having kids or something is like worth 90 points of stress and working a full-time job is worth 60 points of stress. I'm just, I'm just throwing out, you know, sort of numbers and like, you know, moving house, right. Is worth 45. So like, if you just have those three things in your life, you may really have a hard time dealing with the stress of everything that you did. And I think that is a, a perfect analogy for where I was when you're dealing with, uh, when you, when you have a bunch of unprocessed, un, 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 unlived emotions, unfelt emotions, um, it is a lot to carry with you. It is just, and it's such a heavy weight that the normal stresses of some other stuff that you're doing in your life can easily push you over the edge. And then, most of us as human beings, we come up with these horrible coping strategies, right? Mine, mine was eating at various other times, for sure, drinking too much and sort of concurrently with the eating sometimes. Um, that's where a lot of people get into problems with substance abuse because you're just simply overwhelmed and you're looking for something that can just take the pressure off in the moment. And even though that these, you know, these sort of dysfunctional solutions actually 
just they give you they might give you temporary relief, but in the long term, right, they make the the problem bigger and they cause things to grow and they actually feed a self-sustaining loop. So just just being able to get in and interfere with these self-sustaining loops, I think, is an is a, is a giant accomplishment for anybody in their own lives. And I'm really proud of myself that I was able to do it in that, in that time. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I did as that summer uh, kept moving was that I was like, I, I got to get out of my house and I've got to get back to work because part of um, even though work, having a job in itself adds some stress. I think I was more stressed by not, <laughs> not working. There is a certain extent to just like accomplishment and doing stuff and showing up to a place and getting tasks done can be, I think, stress relieving or, or expand your capacity to tolerate stress. And um, so that was when I asked Paul Noneman at Jersey Wahoos to give me a job. Um, I designed a job for myself to come back and we agreed that I would start in the fall. And um, the whole first year that I did that job, I did, people who listen to the podcast know this, I did it from Jersey City, which is at the other end of the state from where Jersey Wahoos is. We had a kind of a special schedule where I would drive down um, on one day and drive back on the next day. I had a friend, Ryan, he's my swimming buddy now, who um, I would sleep over in the basement of his, his house with, with his family and his kids um, there. And they would just sort of deal with me being there. They were incredibly generous people to me in that year. And I, I, I started doing it. And it was, um, it was during that time at Wahoos and, and in the work that I did at therapy that I sort of got my own two feet. Like I, I, I got my own two feet underneath me again. I got back to a stable place. But again, in reflection, um, so by, I would say, summer 2021, I reached a different kind of point. And it wasn't, it wasn't one of these like dark points, like I say, inflection points where, you know, I was like, oh, like, you know, I can describe some story to you go like, oh, man, that sounds really rough. It just sort of actually, I think I got my own two feet underneath me and I said to myself, I don't want to just get better. I don't, sorry, I don't want to, when I say get better, I, I don't want to just fix what's wrong. I want to do better than that. Like I want more than that. I, um, I was looking at myself in the mirror and I, you know, with somebody I've, I've always been super active working out. I think I eat a reasonably good diet, nothing perfect. Right. But, um, I cook a lot of my own food. Uh, so that goes a long way to doing that. And, um, I, I thought like, I, I deserve better than, than what I'm seeing on the other end. And, and if I'm being really, really, really deeply honest, I was, I thought I deserved better in the relationships that I have. I thought I deserved better in my marriage. I thought I um, deserved to be looked at differently inside my own family. And that's part is really hard to admit. 
um, because it's, it's personal and it's a little icky and makes me uncomfortable saying it out loud, but I did want something different. And I started thinking about, you know, how I could go beyond just sort of shoring up my deficits and, and fixing what's wrong and start doing the stuff that I had always done for other people, which is find a way to show them inside what their, their deepest sort of inner strengths were and how those could be leveraged into, you know, a better version of yourself, how you could use those to fuel something, you know, that would grow into, would grow into an even higher plane than, than the one that you had been sort of cruising along. And from that point forward, I, I really think like I, I, I look back at pretty much it was right around my 38th birthday, July, 2021. I just started looking for stuff that I went, this is what I think I should do to have a better life. And instead of, you know, staying paralyzed by indecision, second guessing myself going, ah, I don't know, well, but this won't work, or maybe I need to think about this some more and I'll, you know, like I'll, I'll do the math one more time and I'll triple check it. I'll quadruple check it. And then maybe I'll think about taking, I just went, I'm just going to do things. Like I'm just going to start plowing ahead and do the things. Um, I started with my, my, my physical health. I mean, despite the, the fact that I said that, um, I think I led a, a pretty good lifestyle. I, uh, I went into my doctor and I said, Hey, um, I, uh, I, I try to work out four or five times a week. And honestly, <laughs> I feel terrible almost every time I do it. And, you know, my, my doctor at that time was like, okay, well, we'll run some blood work and, you know, we'll just see if there's anything going on and, you know, we'll take it from there. And I was like, okay, great. You know, like, we're going to get to the bottom of this. This is really, really good. And, um, I, I went in, I got the blood drawn, I waited patiently and, um, everything came back in and my doctor called me up and she said, everything looks like pretty fine. Um, your vitamin D is a little low and she wrote me a prescription for vitamin D. I don't think many people know this, but you can actually get prescription strength vitamin D supplement. Um, spoiler alert. Supplementing vitamin D did not make me feel considerably better. And I think if, if I had not reached that inflection point in summer 2021, my reaction to that would have been like, well, I guess, I guess, you know, like it's, guess it's just all in my head. Um, I, you know, that I feel this way and, uh, I guess I got to just deal with it, like, and suck it up and, you know, don't be, and I just didn't do that this time. I didn't accept that everything was functioning as it should. I, I went out and I got a second opinion. It turns out, um, based on the second opinion, there was like 
a bunch of parameters I could change. Um, a lot of them dietary and um, sort of more targeted towards some of the stuff that was coming across. And um, I saw pretty, I started to see a pretty dramatic change when I just started to actually advocate for myself and get to a point where I wasn't going to accept that like, uh, well, I guess I'm just a little bit older and I feel terrible and I'll just feel terrible. I'll just feel even worse for the rest of my life. And it started to click other things into place um, because each time I was brave enough to just go like, you know what? I think I can do a little bit better and here's what I'm going to try. Sometimes I tried stuff and it didn't work, right? Um, or I didn't perceive that it worked. That's a whole nother podcast, right? But for the most part, there was just so much stuff that I had been holding myself back from. There was so much stuff. Another thing that I started doing, I was thinking about this this morning, coming up on the two year anniversary of when I decided like, hey, I'm just going to lift weights twice a week. And I have always been somebody, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that will just bemoan one piece of, you know, like their own genetics. Oh, like I have this genetic makeup. There's something wrong with me, this, that, or the other thing. And I have definitely been there at so many other points. But one thing I knew about myself was um, somewhere in those uh, Danish Viking genes, I just, my body just loved to do strength training and put on some strength. And for some, uh, not for some reason, I know exactly why I wasn't doing it. And I'll explain it in a second and how I got to the end of it. I, I had held myself back from doing it because one of the things that always happened to me when I committed to like a lot of strength training is if I did it, you know, hard, which you gotta, you gotta go for it. Um, eventually if you want to keep progressing when I did it hard, because I wasn't managing, you know, the, the overall stress level in my life, the training hard pushed me over the top. And so every time I went after something and especially something like weight training, right? Like it would push me over the top and then I would start doing dysfunctional stuff to cope with my stress level being over the top. And so what I would learn from those experiences, lifting causes dysfunctional behavior. That was not true. This is what I've discovered in the last two years, right? That was not true. It was my own management of myself, my own management of my own stress that made an otherwise healthy activity for me, something that I feel like I never want to live without now, okay? Into something that, you know, that I correlated to dysfunctional behavior. So this time around, I was cognizant of the fact that first off, that, you know, adding anything for me as a workout, like the whole point <laughs> of working out was not to just constantly punish and torture yourself and put yourself through a lot of pain because that's what makes you, you know, stronger and better and all these like completely dysfunctional things that I had learned in sports. The point is for you to get better. The point is for you to grow 
and get something positive out of it. And yeah, sometimes that meant, especially as I continued to age, as we all do, sometimes that meant not training as hard as I I'm doing scare quotes now wanted to, right? You know, like I, I have realized about myself that um, I just have an attitude where I, I want to have my foot on the gas at all times. It's not possible to have your foot on the gas at all times. Sometimes you got to, sometimes you got to let up on the gas pedal a little bit, right? Um, I even ran into this in the last few weeks. I, I uh, got forced once again into a recovery cycle because I just, I hadn't organized my training and I'd just gone like push, 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 push. I just got, you know, so, um, so deeply into what I was doing training wise that I just wanted to push forever. You can't push forever, right? The whole point of doing something for yourself is that, that it, that it leads to you growing. And here's the other piece, right? which is, which is different for me than every other time I've been somebody who's been extremely disciplined about working out for the last like 30 years of my life. I basically have not had a time where I've not been consistently exercising, but so many other points at it, the way that I motivated myself to exercise was that I said, you have to do this right now. You have to do this or else you'll be out of shape. You have to do this or, or else you won't be able to do X, Y, and Z. I, I literally was scaring the daylights out of myself to go, you get up right now and do this. Right. And like, did it get me up? Did it keep me disciplined? Yeah. Um, did, did motivating myself in that way really contribute to a healthy level of stress? No, <laughs> absolutely not. And beyond that, it wasn't even true. Why did I work out? Cause I wanted to, I was a 38 year old man. Nobody's making me the only person that is deciding that I'm going to do these things is me. And I think, I recognize this dysfunction in so many athletes that I see now where they go, like, I have to go to practice. And you go, I go, you do? Why? Well, my parents make me. Okay, how do they make you? Well, they're going to be really mad if I don't go. I go, okay, and then what? They go, well, then I'm, you know. And at the end of it, it's like, you have to admit that you have some agency. That you're not like, you know, a a helpless uh, reed that's just blowing in the wind and the wind comes and goes, Oh, like you can't, you can't, you can't do this. And you just have to go, okay, I guess I can't. Right. There is a certain level of helplessness to life, but we all have a lot of agency too. We have stuff that we can control. And when you admit to yourself, like, Hey, I'm doing this because I want to, the motivation you have to do things, it actually becomes restorative. I'm super excited to go work out pretty much every time I go. I'm not perfect, right? There are days when I go in and I, I still operate in this dysfunctional space where I'm sort of like forcing myself to do it. And I don't think it's too bad to make yourself do it sometimes. But the, the key insight here and what I want to get to um, is 
I was saying this to somebody yesterday in a coaching session. As human beings, we're not biologically designed to restrict. Okay? We're not biologically designed to chronically restrict. Right? So, like, if you look at something, like, if you can bring this all the way back to my binge eating, right? We were not designed to, you know, restrict our calories. Because for most of human history, it's like, oh, there's food? Better eat up. We don't know where the next meal is. So eat as much as you can right now. That's what we were designed to do, right? And so when we introduce into our lives and the way that we try to bring discipline into all the things that we're doing, when it's purely through restriction, we're like, we're weaklings when it comes to restriction. And so you're just like, you're, you're setting yourself up to fail. And then what you learn is, oh, well, I, you know, I failed. So obviously I can't do this thing that I want. No, <laughs> you have to set up a functional motivational structure. That's a bet that's built around what it is you actually want. And for me, I think one of the most important things was I, I just wanted to be healthy. I wanted to feel good. I had two young kids at home. I wanted to feel like I had energy not to play with them as I covered earlier, not necessarily to play with them. Um, but that I could put in a hard work day and have them come home at the end of the school day. And I would still be there as a positive energetic force. In their lives and that I would be in that I would be a good version of myself not necessarily the best but a good version of myself in all the stressful moments that raising kid kids takes and that I would be a better spouse for my wife that I would be um, somebody instead of somebody that was making her cry on Mother's Day that I would be somebody that when she was in stressed moments, when she was, you know, dealing with whatever was going on in her life, she could look over at me and go, Chris is okay. He's taking care of himself. And like, this is, this is safe. This is a good place to be. Um, and that stuff was really, really, important to me. And I guess part of the reason why I'm telling the story is because I have made so much progress in that. Um, and the final piece of this that has come into play for me is, and I talked about this on a previous podcast, and this is sort of where I want to finish it because I gotta, I, 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 I always tell people, um, and then this is something I, I, I probably tell them in the context um, of recruiting, right? I help a lot of people uh, and teams with college recruiting stuff. I stay in contact with a lot of college coaches. And one of the most frequent things I get from kids um, who, who are looking at contacting college programs is they go like, I know I'm not quite good enough for this right now. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna reach out. I'm not gonna write them. And I go, you're, you're denying yourself one of the biggest storytelling opportunities you can get. And people love stories. That's why people love this podcast because they're listening to this story right now. And I think you're enjoying it. People love stories. So I want to preview this last piece of the story because I started swimming again. 
And people who are so loyal that they go all the way back to the days when I used to write a blog instead of say them out loud into a microphone, like I'm doing right now, um, know that last time around when I founded my business, I started blogging about the fact that I was getting back into competitive swimming. And see, these things seem to go hand in hand. It seems to be, um, I did some com competing when I was at Georgia Tech and I didn't have kids yet, but the combination of having kids and working full-time as a swim coach, um, it always seemed like I could not find another time to go to the pool and swim. So I've stopped coaching a team full-time. I'm working for myself and I'm swimming again. And that first time around, I wrote all these blogs where I said, my big goal is that I want to break a minute in the 100 breast. Um, to give you some background on that, uh, I swam in college. When I entered swimming in college, the 100 breaststroke was always, you know, the event that carried the most weight for me. I had a, a lifetime best of 102 in the 100 breast. And um, I stayed flat on that for a couple of years. My junior year of college, I went one minute flat in a 100 breast. And my big goal for that or therefore for my senior year of college was to break a minute in the 100 breast. I did not do that. Okay. After college, I started competing again and I had a really good time competing. And I, I figured out some stuff, which incidentally, as I look back, basically what I figured out at that time was that barely training was better for me than the training that I had been doing when I was in college because I was so poor at managing stress that a little bit of training basically was what was what I could manage, right? It, it, rather than overwhelming my system, it was better to just introduce a little bit of stimulus. So I have, I have a medal to prove it upstairs. I'll put this on social media sometime. But um, in 2010, when I was 27 years old, so my, I think my, my college best was like a double O point six. In 2010, when I was 27 years old, I went one double O point one at Masters Nationals, 25 to 29 age group <laughs> in the 100 breast. But like I said, I got the medal to prove it. And that's as close as I ever got to breaking a minute. So when I started swimming again six years ago, I said, now I really want to do it. I want to get back. I want to break a minute. I'm going to put that goal out there. I'm going to create some public accountability for myself and, you know, hopefully show some people how I did it, this, that, and the other thing. Okay. Flash forward to when I competed then. The one meet that I swam in during competing at the time, I went 106 in 100 breast. And that was a little embarrassing, um, having put breaking a minute out there as a goal and having been well back of that. On the other hand, actually, in retrospect, I'm not embarrassed at all. I think 600 breasts is pretty good for a 33-year-old, um, all things considered. And especially when you put it into the context that um, my, my mom died of a brain tumor three months before the meet. I said to myself at the time, I'm just happy that I'm here and able to stand behind the blocks and dive off and race. And I still think that's true. But you know what? I still have had in the back of my mind this whole time, this goal. And, you know, is it silly on some level? Yeah, it's just a, it's just a time on a clock. 
it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to love me any less if I never break a minute in a hundred breast. Okay. Nobody's going to admire me any less. Nobody's going to like decide, Oh, Chris broke a minute in a hundred breast. Now I want to hire him to work with my team. That, you know, like that's what really pushed me over the edge. Do I think that in a lot of those tangible ways, it is going to make a difference in my life. Do you think my kids are going to love me more? No, like none of that stuff. If I break a minute in a hundred breaths. So I know as I make it my goal, once again, which there I said it out loud. I know that as I make it my goal, once again, it's because just because I want to, that's it. I want to, I want to, and I think I can do it. And I might as well find out if that's true. I might as well find out if I can be the guy who breaks a minute for in the hundred breaststroke for the first time when he's 40 something years old. Might as well. I would like to find that out. And I think I can do it. And unlike every other time that I did this, I'm not scared if I don't. It doesn't matter to me. Right? If I don't, that's life. Sometimes you go after something really ambitious and it doesn't happen. And I'll be disappointed. And... um you know, maybe I'll be figuring out the secrets for one more attempt and maybe I won't, maybe I'll move on in my life and want to do something else, but I know that I want to do it and I know that it's possible. I know that it's, I know that it's possible. And instead of just making up a thousand reasons, you know, to not get started or stuff that I have to figure out to get there. I just started. I just started and I'm periodically thinking about what's the next little incremental step that I can take to get there and progress towards my goal and, and, and get there for my goal's sake, just to have something, by the way, one of the, if I, if I, I've come full circle on this, one of the things I've realized is it's, um, it's all well and good to be an adult and to care about your job, to care about your spouse, to care about your family and want to be good for all those things. But it's also great to have something to yourself. It's also great to have some goal that's just for you. Nobody else cares but you, but you care and you want to accomplish it and you're going to go after it with everything you've got. So um, if you guys are, are listening to this, I hope that um, I will have more to share. I will have more to share with you about this. I feel really encouraged about my progress. I am eight weeks into it. Okay. And I already feel closer than I was six years ago. I'm planning on racing a hundred breaststroke in May for the first time. I, I, if you look back to a previous podcast, I did swim a 50 in my first meet. Um, you know, and I'm going to see 
I'm going to see where I'm at. And by the way, one of the greatest lessons I've learned over this time as well, and one of the reasons um, why I I have that as a goal, but I am willing I am willing and open to other things happening along the way is that I know that on the path to getting there, I may achieve other things. And that'd be really cool. One of the best people that I've worked with during this entire time, and give him a shout out, is a coach over in Denmark that I really didn't get along with when I lived there. It's a guy named Ricky Clausen, and I've had him on this podcast a number of times. One of the things I admire about Ricky so much is that he is the type of person that will set a ton of goals and a ton of ambitious goals. And he will not achieve most of what he's set out to do. If I'm being honest with him, Ricky, if you're listening, you know it's true. And I think that's awesome. Let me explain why. Because I used to be the type of person who went, who could not deal with the disappointment of not achieving what I set out to do, that I would take that bar and lower, get it as, you know, put it so low that I couldn't help but get over it so as to not deal with the disappointment of failing. And I realized what a self-limiting belief to have about yourself. What's wrong with shooting for the moon? And then if you only make it halfway, you made it halfway to the fricking moon. That's my podcast for today. That's my story. I hope you guys like listening to it. I hope that um, you are all well. And like I said, I hope that some of this is helpful to you. Um, I hope that if you're out there coaching, um, when this podcast comes out, there will still be some spots maybe in my coaching course. Um, so you can sign up for that at christycoach.com, the tab up at the left, um, click through uh, positive psychology coaching one Instagram, Christy underscore coach, Facebook, CD Swim Coach. Uh, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. You can watch them on YouTube, comment, um, follow me along. It's way better than Kyle Sockwell's um, attempting to make trials. It's so boring. A former D1 swimmer trying to make Olympic trials in his mid-20s. Not impressive. You want to see a 40-year-old break a minute and 100 breaststroke, and that's going to be me. So... Um, until next time, thank you. And I'll talk to you then.